0: Is this the right bunker?
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the bunker yeah for those of you that may be aware the bunker is in a uh, it's in a uh, transitional mode right now at the moment but uh we have an awesome show for you tonight we have returning champion who is a awesome researcher and author actually has released a book of poetry called spilled ink which is uh what we're going to be talking about tonight you may know him from normalparanormal.org or from his first book, The Spectrum. Ladies and gentlemen, returning champion, Justin Banforth is with us.
0: Hello, everybody.
1: How's it going, man? So how's uh how things been how things been going for
0: you? uh going going well. You know, always always busy. You know, better to be busy than bored. We stay out of trouble that way. But uh always working on something and um working on the podcast that I'm I've been uh, doing a lot lately called Terra Signals, which you and Beth were guests on.
1: Uh, exactly. Yeah. I was going to actually bring that up next. That's pretty exciting. So, so, you know, you've been in the, you've been in the, the UFO paranormal uh, arena for, for a long time now at this point. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what was the, what was the motivation for, for Terra Signals? Like, what was the, what was the final thing that sort of pushed you over the edge to start doing your own, your own podcast?
0: You know, I would say probably the people um, who hear me speaking on all these other podcasts and shows, they keep asking me, like, when are you going to have your own show? And I thought about it for a while. You know, I didn't really have any time to devote to it. And then I thought, you know what? There's a lot of people out there who have interesting stories that I interview all the time, such as yourself. And a lot of people don't hear about those those individuals because, you know, there seems to be... Uh, the same old people you know they uh they make their rounds right in the in the paranormal and ufo circuits and all that and and i just wanted to create a show that kind of brought different people's stories um forward and hoping that it would inspire other people to also step forward and share their stories and terror signals is a really interesting podcast you know i tried to focus it about the messages we send and receive from the natural world and beyond the visible and the sight unseen. And my whole goal with it is to present various guests on different topics, ranging from supernatural or metaphysical science, technology, society, culture, and the strange and the stranger. So that was my idea behind Terra signals. And here we are, I've recorded about nine episodes so far. I'm about ready to take a pause. I think with the first season, Uh, It's a lot of work, as you know, right? Oh,
1: man, you're not kidding.
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, I was making, I didn't think it would really take off the way it did. Uh, You know, I try to do like a weekly podcast um, and I didn't realize how much work really is involved because you have to record it, then you have to edit it, then you have to put it out there, then you have to promote it. And I was doing these episodes like up until the, the 11th hour before it was being released. And it just gets to be, too much. So, I think I need to take a little bit of a break, schedule a bunch of guests out, record them all at once, edit them all at once and then stagger those episodes out for for season 2. Yeah, see
1: I I I definitely see why we want to do that and I'm I'm really leaning towards that um that that approach to you know, either you know, it's it's the it's the it's a real benefit to pre-recording and working on a product that you know that you're editing before it goes out as opposed to something live. doing doing many episodes ahead of time is like super appealing because you know, especially if you're looking for like, because I really like theme podcasts that you know, do an entire theme for a whole season, that's pretty cool. And I like that this the idea of recording many episodes ahead of time, polishing them all up, getting them all ready you know, that way you can release them as you want to, not when you're done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes, you know, you interview somebody and then you realize you don't have as much content as you had hoped. And then it's kind of like, Oh shoot, what do I do? Like the episode's coming out like in a couple of days, what do I do? So there wasn't a whole lot of like room for, uh, for error. Uh, fortunately everybody that I did interview, you know, Uh, It it had a pretty interesting story and they were good on behind the mic. But it's interesting because, you know, I talk with people all the time and people are different when you put a mic or a camera in front of them, they tend to then be focused on their image and rightfully so, you know, because, you know, it's going to be recorded and all that. But my goal with the podcast is to try to create a comfortable environment, a relaxing one that they don't have to worry about that and then they could just focus on telling their story. You know, you know when I interview people, respect is very high up there for me. You know, I always want to portray somebody in an accurate light and in a positive way. You know, and then let the audience to decide from there. Even if I think one thing, it's up to the audience. You know, the audience is smart enough. And you know with with the audience with the bunker, you know, you you've they've been subject to a lot of interesting stories and a lot of interesting guests, right? But yeah. what I like about your show is you do the same thing, right? You put it out there and you know, you wait and you let them say what they have to say and then you let the audience decide. And I think that's how we should create shows going forward is, is to put on hold our judgment and, and just, look, just allow people to tell the story. Because again, we weren't there to prove it happened, but we also weren't there to disprove it either. But these people genuinely believe that they experienced something and I genuinely believe them.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's, um, you know, that's mirrored in, you know, doing private investigations. You know, as you know, um, you know, you really have to, because you're, you know, if someone's calling you in and we just had a call the other day, we have to, we're, we plan on going out of town for a vacation soon, but uh, we had this private case kind of popped up. So we may have to bang this out before we leave and head out of town, but. But so it, it's, it's that same sort of approach. Like you, you have to suspend judgment. These people are, are, are frightened. Um, they're, they're uncertain what's going on. They're feeling out of control in their own home or their businesses or wherever this activity is happening. And they're calling you in to make them feel better. Let's, let's be real. That's what, that's why they're calling us in. Like they're, they're hoping that we're going to come in and give them answers and set them, set their mind at ease, which usually is the case. Um, and, and so I, I can totally see the parallel between that and, doing the podcasting which is you know to me the best way to portray a story and um and have others hear that and be intrigued by it and and be comfortable for themselves to come forward because let's be honest i mean some of these stories are just crazy and i mean of, of all the things that we've witnessed and that we've heard about and the reports that we've taken it, it's still like sometimes you hear these stories and your it's your rational mind merely wants to go there's no way that's this is crazy <laughs> you know But this stuff, this stuff happens. I mean, I've witnessed it myself, but there's still, when you hear a crazy story, there's still that, that little, you know, your rational mind wants to jump in and be like, nah, that there's no way that's, this is going on. But you have to, as an investigator and as a podcast host too, you you kind of set all that aside and just hear the story and just let them vent and tell their story. And, you know, which is the sort of first step to getting towards figuring out what it is that's going on.
0: Yeah, and the other rewarding aspect of it is when I get somebody who has listened to an episode and they say, Hey, the guests that you had on, I can relate to them. I actually just had one uh the end of last week. Um a friend of mine wrote uh, text to me and she said, uh, you know, love the new podcast episode. Um, you know, the one guest, uh Marsha Moore, she um she went through a lot and she goes. Uh, my friend says, things I experienced were never as strong as her experiences, but she really described a lot of my feelings too. And that's, I think that's an encouraging thing because a lot of times individuals or experiencers, they don't know that, they don't know what we know, right? We interview people all the time, but they don't know that there are people just like them out there who are experiencing similar, if not the same thing. And it's almost like you want to create that comfort right to to tell them that hey look you're not alone i've heard this before but it's different if we tell them that right yeah. it doesn't ha- it's not as impactful as hearing it firsthand from somebody who lived through it and that's another reason why i wanted to start up the podcast because again there's so many great stories out there there's so many great experiencers out there and they deserve to be heard so i'm going to see where it goes You know, it's, it's been a blast so far the the response has been great, especially with you and Beth's episode on uh, EVP and the uh, photographic evidence with um, some of the investigations you've been on incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, that was, that was, that was, uh, that was fun to share that stuff. And, uh, you know, I think like I pointed out in the episode, I had gone years and years taking pictures continuously without ever, (laughs) without ever finding anything. I don't know how many thousands of pictures I've taken with just nothing in it. that I just delete um it just i don't know it seems lately that i'm now beginning to catch more things on, on on film which is weird uh but such is the phenomena right i mean you just when you think you have everything figured out you know i'm the master of evp i'm gonna go in here and i'm gonna get evps and then you know lo and behold you'll go three investigations in a row with nothing <laughs> you know but then you i capture a picture so it's you know you never know what you're going to capture and when that's why you just kind of have to you know Yeah. Stay open and cast a wide net and just be patient.
0: Yeah. And the other thing too is when I was interviewing you and Beth, my interview style is much different because you're investigators and researchers into this it's, it's, but my style with you is much different compared to somebody who isn't a trained investigator, who isn't a trained researcher. Right. Like, and I also want the audience to kind of, in my next few episodes, hopefully, I'm going to bring on some more people who are just, normal people, right? They just had extraordinary st- experiences. But I want people to kind of hear that and understand how to interview them, you know? Because I think in the field, that's something that gets kind of under undervalued, underestimated, right, is the power of the interview. You know, if you talk to somebody about their high strangeness experiences, they might be reluctant to, sh- to share that with you or to share all the details, right? but there's an art to that you really have to build up a relationship with them and you have to earn their trust you know you, they're very terrified of this but they're also terrified of the reaction to this so they're not going to reveal everything and i've experienced that you know even just interviewing people for uh for my book the spectrum they didn't tell me everything all, all at once it wasn't until like months and years of just friendships and communication that they begin to share more things and some of the people that were um, that were that I wrote about in the spectrum I'm still in contact with and they're still going through some of these experiences so the phenomenon is a never ending one it just keeps evolving but I think we as investigators and researchers we should be mindful of that that these are just normal people they don't know what we know so we have to treat them a little bit differently we have to show them the respect and we got we just have to work with them you know of course on the flip side they are also very difficult you know well, witnesses and experiencers um maybe they didn't really witness it maybe they're just pulling a fast one too uh, you know i've run into that but you begin to see through those things right
1: yeah yeah it's true and, and one thing that happens too a lot is you know someone will reach out to you sounding very very desperate um you know sharing some details that sound you know pretty intense and um when you go to sort of set up, you know, an in-person interview and, uh, you know, like a walkthrough of the property, they disappear off the face of the earth and you never hear from them again. So, you know, that does occasionally happen. Uh, not sure why, but, um, you know, but yeah. like you said, you, you when these events took place, we weren't there. But the good thing about being in, in the field for a long time. And the longer, the better, like you just, you, you get more experience, you witness more yourself. And so it sort of gives gravity to your word. Like, Hey, I know what you're going through. You know, if you, if you grew up in a haunted house and were terrorized by something, you could, you know how to speak to someone else with empathy that's going through it now. And, and it resonates and people can tell that you're being sincere. It, it that puts people more at ease. I think if people can sort of read other people's energy. I think probably better than they think they do you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just that having that compassion, you know, that's really important in this field.
1: Really is. It really is. And yeah, you said you
0: had nine episodes now already. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, you know, you and Beth mm-hmm. took up two of them, but <laughs> yeah, oh, there's true. seven other episodes and it's, it's really, I I can't be more pleased with how everything turned out. It's just been a really cool ride and I'm going I'm to continue to do this you know, for as long as I can. As long as it's interesting, as long as people are out there and they want to share their stories, I'll give them the opportunity to do so. But I want to go back to that point that you mentioned about people kind of just like ghosting you, right? Mm. That happens all the time and it is so frustrating. I can't explain it. And if anybody listening has any answers, please let us know. Because how many times do you get an email and you follow up and they just never respond. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just, I had one guy, Like, I, I did a, I did an interview for Jimmy Church's show, Fade to Black, and I had one guy email me, or, or he actually contacted me through my contact form on normalparanormal.org. And he said, hey, I've got a men in black story to tell you. Here's my phone number. Well, I'm not going to call just some random phone number until I have a little bit more context, right? Because- You know, you can at least give me a little bit of that. So I responded to his email, which was included in the contact form. I say, hey, can you give me a little bit of background, uh, share a little bit more of your story? No response. Then the next day, he sends another contact form through my website, same exact message. And I'm like, hey, come on, what gives, you know, like, please share some more details here. Never hear back from him. Some people, like, they get really afraid and then they just stop responding. I've had one person uh, responded to me and they said, uh, on second thought, I don't want to share your story. Never mind. Just, uh, you know, delete my message, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know what? All right. It's fine. You know, it's, it's really strange, but people don't see this, right? This behind the scenes stuff. I'd say if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say probably about half the people who write into me the first time. And then I've send a follow-up message about half the people actually respond back the other half just i don't know where they go wow maybe the emails aren't going through i don't know but i try that too like because at first i thought all right maybe this is a website issue right or or some sort of web glitch but i did yeah. all the debugging and, and everything and same thing i'd say probably about 50 percent people i never hear back from again
1: wow it's 50 percent
0: yeah and i get a lot of messages all over the world. And a a lot of which tend to occur like after I do these, you know, media interviews or podcasts or or shows or what have you, but it is, it is a perplexing mystery. I, and it's been going on like this for years. So, and I have some incredible stories that people have sent to me, but I, I can't follow up, you know, even people that I actually did follow up with who got on the phone, had a couple hour conversation with, I've then been following up with them after that, don't hear back. They've completely disappeared. I don't know what happens. Maybe the men in black get to them, I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's puzzling, it's frustrating, Um, but what can you do?
1: Wow. Yeah, that happens to us occasionally, but not that often. Um,
0: And you know and what? I, yeah, I'll but... also say this, like during events too, after I give like a lecture or a presentation, I have tons of people come up to me and they say, Hey, I've got a great story to share with you. And they begin, you know, telling me the details and I say, great. Hey, here's my email address. Can you please follow up with me? I'd love to interview you in greater detail and you know, we can have like a phone chat or or whatnot. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll I'll message you. I'll message you. Never hear from them. So if you're out there listening and you're going to send me a message, Please, please, like keep that doorway open so we can converse back and forth. Like, I would love to talk with you. But give me the opportunity, please. And Men in Black, if you're listening to this, come on now. This is getting ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah, those guys need a hobby. <laughs>
0: Stop
1: messing with us. But yeah, and I've been I've been witness to some of the some of these, you know, people. You know, the mysteries of space and sky. It was, you know, yeah we were approached by how many people i mean and heard crazy yeah. stories and uh yeah it's just it's just strange that that high percentage of people take the initiative to reach out to you and maybe give you a handful of details and yeah. then when you go to pry and get deeper into it they just kind of leave you hanging which is unfortunate because even if you weren't to you know ever use their name or location or anything but just the be able to document all the details of that story, because you know, as well as I do, if, if one person reaches out to you, leaves you a message on normal paranormal, you know, that there's what, 10 other people that have that same experience, a hundred, maybe a thousand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's really profound when you get somebody who messages you and they don't know that, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, someone else had a similar story that they messaged me about. So, but I can't, like I can only do what I can, what I have access to, or I can only go as far as I have access with. Right. So, but it's, it's, it's profound. I, I can't explain it. At first I thought, okay, maybe I, my stuff is just ending up in a spam folder and that's always a possibility. Right. But right. I've tried emailing them from different, from like my personal address and I just never hear back. So I don't know, whatever, but I got, I got lots of a uh, contact form submissions that I could, uh. Maybe I'll maybe I'll share some of them uh, with your audience tonight because you know, i they didn't give me any permission not to share them. So
1: oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. so so, as far as um like guests on your show, like, you know what's what's some of the highlights of uh, people you've had on so far?
0: Well, you and Beth are probably one of the top highlights for sure uh, that th- that episode still is doing very, very well. Um, I had a uh, Larry Arnold on to talk about a spontaneous human combustion which is really, yeah, that's a really fast. That was a
1: great episode.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, a a lot of these conversations I recorded a a while back and yeah, I I talk with a lot of people and I record those conversations, but with some of these um, I forgot that I had them and I forgot that I had this conversation with Larry and so I asked him, I said, Hey, Larry, like, I think our talk that we had like years ago would be, would be great for this podcast. Would you be up for it? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's put it out there. And so that's what we did. And it was just phenomenal. I actually uh, put the, uh, the full interview on my YouTube page too. And that's doing very well. Uh, it was remarkable how fast people uh, like flock to that video. I, I didn't think that they would. I didn't think that there's much of an interest in SHC cases. But it turns out that there is. Well, Larry Arnold, he's the world's foremost investigator into this. So if you're going to get the straight story, hear it from him through his own words, and that's what he did. He he came onto the show and talked about it. Um, we had uh, T.J. Miller, who has been a uh, co-host of yours. That's right on on the on the bunker, and he talked about his uh, his experience. I call it the Renaissance Fair ghost. Still to this day, an intriguing case. I mean, that's just remarkable. And, and it was witnessed by numerous individuals, not just him. So that was that was a highlight, um, putting that conversation up there.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite paranormal stories, you know. And it's just the fact yeah. that no one was investigating, no one's looking for it or or trying to capture evidence. This is something yeah. that just happened in just in everyday, everyday life. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Yeah.
0: And that's what makes that so important of a story to tell. Because this just goes to show how the phenomenon manifests in the most unpredictable, wild ways. And oftentimes, you're not ready for it. It just happens. And I know this is frustrating for investigators because we hear this all the time, right? Well, where's the evidence? Well, you don't always have a camera ready. And in TJ's case, you don't even know it's a ghost until after the fact. So, you know, and and that's that's the puzzling aspect. So, ah, it's just a remarkable case. But uh, I had a uh, Jamie Victor on to discuss uh, synchronicities and his life dealing with these things. But I kind of coined this term for him called a uh, super synchronicities or super syncs for short, because it, it, he is experiencing them not just occasionally but every day, and sometimes multiple ones in the same day. Yeah. So much so that I think it, it it shows aspects of kind of like a precognitive you know, behavior where he's able to predict these things before they occur. Is he inadvertently remote viewing? Maybe. I mean, I did some remote viewing experiments with him a few years ago, and uh, that was phenomenal. And uh, I didn't talk about it on this episode, but it, I, I was just curious. I had a feeling he might have some abilities to do this what we did was I told Jamie, I said, look, don't read up about anything on remote viewing. I don't want you to know how it works. I want you to know nothing about this. And he goes, okay, no problem. And one day we scheduled a time to do all of this. And he just knocked it out of the park, the first session. Like it was unbelievable. We did a double wow. blind experiment and he just, I, I was so surprised. But I think that's, uh, extreme uh, euphoria over the positive results influenced our next few results because then they weren't nearly as strong. It was really peculiar. Interesting. So, yeah. So, it kind of leads me to believe that with psychic phenomena, you definitely have to be in a right frame of mind and, and stress can affect that. You know, your emotions, your feelings. I mean, I'm sure Beth can tell you. You can tell the audience too about that, right? Because you, sometimes you hear that with with uh, psychics and mediums on an investigation, right? Some days they'll say, "Oh, I just I'm broken, I'm not working," and there could be a reason for that. You know, maybe they just had a bad day and it just it influenced their their abilities. I don't know. It's just really profound. There's a lot to this mystery. I think that gets overlooked, and it doesn't get explored as much because people don't think it really relates, but it does. You know, so I I always tell investigators. When you're looking at these experiences, don't just focus on the experience itself. Focus on what happened in the moments leading up to the experience, in the moments that, uh, that passed the experience. There might be some clues there, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I'm, and, I, and honestly, I'm not surprised that, that he did so well with that kind of experiment because it, it's, and you know, this, this, this may correlate, I'm not sure, but, i mean he he just is so hyper focused on details that i just wonder and i i think i mentioned this to him in an email recently um maybe i was just thinking it, i'm not sure but i wonder how many people will potentially have these same experiences but just never notice it because they're not paying enough attention to these minute details of events in your day-to-day life people are kind of walking asleep you know there's like there's this walking meditation that, um exercise it's called walking awake and it's and it's and it's exactly that you, you know you walk like through a forest for example if you feel compelled to walk you walk if you something catches your eye makes you stop you stop but you engage as many of your senses as possible like how many how many sounds do you hear right now how many birds can you hear you know can you hear the wind moving through the branches do you how many animals do you see you know do you smell anything you know, approach a tree or a bush or a flower, smell it. What does it smell like? What does that make you think of? You know, and like just engage all of your senses as much as possible in a very relaxed way. And I, I think that like Jamie and people like him uh, just seem hyper-focused on details. And so they, if, if any of this stuff strange pops up in his day-to-day life, he's going to notice it. Whereas the other five people in the room probably won't, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a, certainly a peculiar case. You know, Jamie is certainly an interesting individual, but one of the reasons I put that episode out there is I know that there's got to be other people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. There, there has to be, right? Because if there's one, there has to be others. So that's why I put that out there. Um, but those are some of the highlights on, on the podcast. It's, you know, you can go to terra signals.com or you can look up terra signals on Spotify or whatever you, however you get your podcasts.
1: Absolutely. And I'll put links in the, uh, in the show notes also. So yeah, so that's, that's pretty exciting. New, uh, a new podcast out there. It's super professional, very well done. Uh, excellent content, great interviews, uh, amazing guests so far. And, uh, you know, we're, we look forward to, uh, to the, to the next season, Terror Signals. And so the next thing I wanted to touch on was the second book of yours, which I, I think you'd mentioned that, you know, no one has really interviewed you about this. That's right. Uh, but it's, it's a book. Of poetry and prose called spilled ink. You know, so how did this come about? like, how long have you been interested in poetry? Is you know what was the impetus for the for the book? You know, was this a long time coming? Was this a spontaneous spur of the moment decision? like, how did this come about?
0: Well, I have to say, surprisingly, you are the very first podcaster that has ever inquired into this poetry book. you know, so thank you for for asking about it. It's and yeah, much to my surprise. It really resonated with other people too. I didn't think it would. In fact, I was kind of nervous about it. Um, but like one conference that I was speaking at, um, "Mysteries of Space and Sky." Actually, uh, I remember some several people who came up to my table wanting to buy both the Spectrum and Spilled Ink. But I made sure, like they were aware of that distinction between the two. You know, I told, I said uh, something along the lines of, "Like, yeah, all right, just to let you know, Spilled Ink is a poetry book." Um, Just so you don't get ripped off here. And I remember this one guy, he was wearing a t shirt with the uh, Sakura um, uh, UFO incident that that symbol on it, you know, the Lani Samora case. Yeah. And he said, Yeah, I know it's poetry. I love poetry. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Great. And then uh, Anthony Hayes, a, a reporter for the Baltimore Post Examiner, he was the first and only person to ever write up anything about it, too. So there's certainly an audience for it. It's obviously not as popular as my paranormal stuff, but the thing with this poetry book is there are paranormal themes, and it was really an exciting journey of self-discovery that I wrote when I was going through um, a divorce at the time. You know, it was a painful moment, uh, but one that I kind of used as something to try uh, new, new creative explorations as like an outlet to like channel all that, all that frustration and pain mm-hmm. and all that. And it originally started out as a uh, lyrics to uh hip hop songs that I would decided to dabble in at the time, you know, a, a couple of friends, they were, uh, they were collaborating with me and uh, you know, we would just hang out, get together and uh, just find like some beats on YouTube and then, you know, f- write around those, like what we were feeling. And it was, it was really cool. It was a creative exercise really. And, you know, they just, Eventually, they lost interest, or you know, life got in the way. So I had all these leftover ideas and lyrics that were just sitting there, and I thought, "Well, what am I going to do with this now that I don't don't have anybody, you know, to really collaborate with?" But I still kept writing because it was therapeutic, and it helped me put into perspective what I was going through regarding like life and you know my faith, the dating scene, friendships, trust, betrayal, um, death, the afterlife, and the sight unseen. And then on a random whim, I was, you know, I came across some poetry on Instagram that I really liked and it was short and to the point, just pure raw emotion. And it turns out unbeknownst to me that there was like this whole underground movement called Insta poetry that exists out there to this day. And it's being produced by some amazing writers. And one of them uh, is Lang She's a New Zealand writer with Cambodian roots that I absolutely admire and as soon as I started reading her work, I was just like, wow, this is very similar to that pure raw lyrical nature of my own writing that, you know, I was exploring. So I found out that she was doing a book tour over in New York city. So I went and I met her and I learned about her process. And so, you know, I thought, well, you know, I could adapt some of these lyrics into this like short form poetry, put it out there and let's see where it goes. Again, I had no idea, right, if it would resonate with people or if it would just turn people off or push them away. It was a risk. But I thought, well, look, if I can reach just one person out there and make a positive difference in their life through my writing, then I'm going to do it. It's going to make it worth it. And so I did. And on the way, like, I connected with some other amazing writers. And I found, you know, that I found out there on Instagram and some other platforms. And it was just amazing, like, being inspired by them, and inspiring them too. Um, one of those writers that I met uh, was Hannah Lee Jones, who you know who she is. Oh, yep. He's yeah. She's uh, the author of a of a poetry book called When I Was the Wind. And you know, Hannah's a really smart woman. You know, and she helped me recognize, you know, that I could use this to my advantage and just you know just bear it all. Allow your writing to have purpose through pain. And so I used it as a way to process and project all these negative thoughts that typically weigh us down. And I used it as a source of creativity of, well, creative freedom, really, to kind of live and let go. So it was, it was really, really fun. And, but I just want to say, you know, I I hate classical poetry. I am not a fan of it at all. Mm -hmm. But when I stumbled upon this, you know, this Insta poetry, the short form poetry, I thought, this is really cool. I, I can relate to this. You know, I, I'm not a fan of writers who write in such a style that's difficult to understand or is at such a high level that you have to read it and reread it and reread it again, the same sentence just a few times, you know, to, to understand what the gist is of what they're trying to convey. I don't like that. I write to be understood. And I think some of your listeners who have read my book, The Spectrum, they know that that's what I do. I take these complex terms, these complex themes, and I just break it down and just and simplify it in a ways that you can process, that you can relate to. That has been my goal with anything I do. And I, I guess that just comes from my background in advertising and marketing, where you only have like a few seconds to capture the the attention of the audience and make your point. If you can't, you'll lose them. So that's that's kind of like the story behind spilled ink.
1: That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And um yeah and I think I feel the same way about poetry. I never um i never really resonated with we never found any poetry that resonated with me but you know in college you're you know you're reading a bunch of these old quote-unquote classics and um taking nothing away from that i'm you know it's it's very skilled writing but like you said it's it's a very difficult to penetrate at times and you know i think the reason for that is is because that stuff was written you know in a different time with a different culture that you know if we had read that in the 1890s that maybe that would have made perfect sense and we would be raving about it but but your stuff is written now and it's contemporary like you said it's not you know sort of full of itself it's not trying to like confuse people with like these deep meanings that you have to kind of you know mull over and let marinate to figure out you know it's just it's just raw words, but just, you know, with the, with the emotions behind it. And then I I think that's what would resonate more with people now, just because it's, 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 it's contemporary work and it's, you know, and it's of this culture and of your experience. And so that's, I think that's why, you know, this resonated with me so much more than any other poetry I've ever read. I, I I hated poetry in school, really hated it, (laughs) but um, this, this was really cool. And actually, Oh, before I even get, to a couple of favorites uh, out of the book um Jessica Choi um that illustrated the book like how much did she knock these illustrations out of the park
0: yeah i know right yeah she's she's really good jessica's amazing uh she was one of those artists that i discovered on instagram and i love finding people that they're like right on the verge of breaking through That they're really talented, but they haven't really gotten the attention yet. I love working with people like that because there's not there's no ego there, right? It's just talent, it's drive, it's determination, it's skill. It's incredible working with these people. And so I found her, I discovered her on Instagram, and I saw some of her pen and ink drawings, and I thought, wow, these are really good. So I messaged her and I said, hey, you know, tell me about your process, and and we just got to know each other that way. And then I thought you know, I want to set my book apart a little bit and I want to include some illustrations on some of these, some of these uh, entries in the poetry book. So I sent her the whole thing and I said, let me know if any of them resonate with you. Let's do maybe like 10 to 15 illustrations, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, and I paid her for this. And so she came back with a bunch of, of the ones that resonated with her. And I said, okay, you know, what are some of the images that, you know, went through your mind as you're reading this sort of stuff? And you no know, she had some thoughts then I had some thoughts and then we kind of like collaborated and we we I told her that I really wanted to do like illustrations that have like a double meaning. You know that you you look at it and you you get one thing but then if you look at it again you'll see something completely new to it. And you know not all of them have this because you know, it's really hard to create that that type of uh, illustration but Jessica was amazing. She really worked with me on some of these and it was just a collaborative process, but she's on Instagram, um, uh, Mizudori Arts. Um, I can give you a link so that people can find her. Uh, okay, she's, yeah, uh, yeah, she she's incredible, and she's from Singapore, so that's where she does. She, uh, her day job is she's a piano teacher, and she just does illustration on on the side. But I thought, hey, let's let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's let's see where where it leads, right? So I think that was her first experience working on a book too. And she did a really cool uh, illustration that I used for the cover. It's of a butterfly and the butterfly has a torn wing. And, you know, that there, there's a reason for that. Obviously it's one of the entries in there called butterfly where I talk about, you know, the, the painful lessons of, of going through things, but not learning those lessons. And then there's a, there's a pastor in Dallas, uh, a pastor in Dallas, Texas named Tony Evans that I, I've learned a lot from, you know going into my spirituality side. And he puts it best in his book. It's called "It's Not Too Late." He said, "Just as a butterfly develops the muscular strength to fly, by struggling to exit the cocoon, we develop spiritual maturity and growth by persevering in trials. And so I thought, that's absolutely yes right there that is right in line with what i'm trying to convey it's through those tough journeys that we learn something we grow from them but sometimes we get a little wounded in the process but we're still able to fly so you know that's kind of like my uh i guess my rationale why i use that on the cover but it's it's funny though because it, it has different meanings for different people i i've had uh some other people message me and say hey look my my uh I forget what it was. It was like a her grandfather or something was like really drawn to butterflies and he had just passed. And, uh, and this was like a, she considered this like a message from him. It's re- really, it's, it's weird stuff. It's, it's bizarre stuff. I, I don't know. I just, look, sometimes I wonder if we're not really creating things, but rather we're channeling things and everything we do, it, it's not about us. It's about others because we're all connected. Not to get all like, you know, woo-woo and new age on you, but how many times have you seen that, right? You go on an investigation and you find out that you were supposed to be there at that time for a reason. And I think that's how life is too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we were just at a, um, well, it was actually the event that we just were on that I had sent you those, uh, those the latest image I captured in Virginia. Yeah. yeah, We uh, we had gone, I'd gone down with Beth because she was working at an event and, um, you know, the event was kind of bust. There weren't, there weren't a whole lot of people that came. And so, you know, we just made the best of it. And uh, we hooked up with a local who was from the town and took us around to some different locations. And, um, you know, and then lo and behold, we end up on the side of a mountain at a Civil War battlefield. And, uh, you know, and again, I like captured some crazy image. So you know, we were just talking about it recently. Like, man, I guess that was really the reason why we were there. You know, the, it was it was a bummer that the event was bust and she didn't make any money there. But you know, but we did get this other thing out of it, and it's and it was still going through the steps and going down there and putting ourselves in that position. You know, opened up that opportunity for us to capture something really intriguing again, and uh, it wasn't our plan. Came out of nowhere, basically. Uh, but that's how this stuff happens sometimes. And I think poetry kind of elicits that sort of feeling you know it's it's like a when you're reading a story you're reading a fiction even a short story you know there's there's this introduction of characters there's a building of plot there's you know antagonists appear and you know and there's this whole system that goes through but like poetry is just like a bam it's just it's just a a short thought or emotion is just right in your face
0: yeah it really is and what's really profound is some time, well it was actually while doing those hip hop lyrics uh with one of my friends i was this is a really strange story i was writing I, I was living in bristol at the time and my neighbor nick he was uh he was not home but and, and I, I didn't know that so i'm upstairs my computer and i'm just writing and then out of nowhere I just get hit with like this overwhelming, like, I don't know, just like at this creative moment where it was like the thing wrote itself. And it was, it was so bizarre. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it. It just, it just kind of happened. And um, I, I wrote down all these things on, on the computer and then I called Nick up and I said, Hey Nick, like, Hey, we should like, let's collaborate like tonight. Like, are, are you doing anything? And he goes, ah, oh, I just got home. Like I'll be right over. And I go, yeah, I just, I just felt this creative moment. And I just think we can do something with this. Right. Let's like turn it into like a song or, or what, whatever. So he comes over, he reads the lyrics and he goes, dude, he goes, that, that was my mindset just a few moments ago. You just captured my entire thought process right there. So, wow. I, I can't explain that. I, I don't know what happened, but it didn't feel like I was writing it from myself. It felt like I was writing it from somewhere else. I didn't know it was him. I didn't think about him. But here it is. We had some sort of mental overlap. Um, what causes that? You know, he was again, I think stress plays a key role into a lot of these experiences. And he was going through a stressful situation, but I captured exactly what he was going through. So it was Really bizarre stuff.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think everyone has experienced that to a to a lesser degree. Not, you know, not as often as Jamie experiences that kind of stuff. But, but um, you know, everyone thinks about someone, and then and lo and behold, the phone rings, and then it's that person, or you know, little things like that, and it makes you wonder just how energetically connected everything really is. Because what I think about sometimes is that you, you you've seen that graph of the totality of 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 you know the radiation spectrum and then you look at the visible light spectrum and it's this tiny little strip in the middle and you know on these vast areas above you know violet and below red you know you have this giant spectrum of light that we can't see and it may i just always wonder sometimes like what if we could just see all that you know would we see you know, the energy connecting everyone? Would we see like literal like cords going between each person? Or or maybe it's like, you know, light shooting back and forth when you think of someone like, because, you know, we're, the brain is an electrical device. We're completely electrical and, and water and nerves and all this stuff and muscles and everything. So it's an electrical system. And I always wonder how much are we actually tapped into our environment and how much do we affect our environment? You know, that we don't even perceive ourselves
0: yeah and so many of these experiences that we would consider paranormal or supernatural i think play into that it's it's not necessarily, well it kind of it, it challenges our definitions of what ghosts are what what you know ufo's are like what if they're not coming from an external source what if they're coming from an internal source what if we are creating these things under what circumstances i don't know and again this is just speculation right but I think we need to kind of challenge those notions of, of what we think or what we wish the, the phenomenon would be. And that's may that may not be what, what it is. It may be something completely different and it may need us. It may need an, it may use us as an integral role into that. You know, there was, there was one case that I, I talk about um in the spectrum and uh, stop me if I've already shared it on your, on your show before. I don't think I have, but it was—it's called the uh, the Rhea Baker crisis apparition, and I love using this as an example because this this just illustrates it, right? How even two strangers could have some sort of mental connection for whatever reason. Well, uh, Rhea was a medical student and she was in the midst of her residency um, at some hospital out in Pennsylvania, and she's working the overnight shift when a man comes in who had you know overdosed on heroin and who was brought in unconscious. And it was suspected that the man had, you know, gone through these violent seizures because of the way that the first responders found him. It was, it was like twisted up like a pretzel. It was, it was terrible. And she saw the man come into the ER and go into surgery. Well, later that same night, Ria was walking, you know, the the hallways of the hospital. It's about like one or two in the morning. And she noticed that exact same man out in the hallway, but this time he's in a wheelchair and he's just looking down at the floor. So she approached him and, and she asked him, you know, can I do anything for you? And the man just looked at up, looked up at her, with just these really, you know, sad eyes, and and he just shook his head. And for some reason, Maria just patted the man on the shoulder and walked away. And uh, she had told me that this is not something she would usually do in this case. So that's your first flag right there. The phenomenon has an ability to create a different response to it it tends to get us out of our character. And so I've started asking witnesses about this. Is that something you would have normally done? A lot of times when they think about it, they're like, no, I wouldn't. Why did I do that? Well, this is what happened with Rhea. She said, usually she would have taken him back to his room or gotten another nurse to assist. But she just passed him on the shoulder, walks away. 20 minutes later, she hears code blue over the intercom, which is apparently a cardiac arrest alert. And the room number that she was called to happened to be the exact same room number as the man that she had seen moments prior in the wheelchair. But the thing is, according to the records, he never regained consciousness. And he also had both of his legs amputated to the knee and one arm amputated to the elbow, but who she saw had all of his limbs intact. And she was not confused. She knew specifically this was the man that she saw, but how could this have been? she looked at the rest of the report and it said that the man had never been responsive in any way other than basic reflexes, but he most likely suffered brain damage from oxygen deprivation somewhere in the point where the first responders got him and brought him in. So had Rhea encountered like a ghost of some sort, but not in a classic sense, right? This is what we would term like a crisis apparition or like an example of bilocality, Right. You know, so what is that? You know, we've heard of crisis operations before. They often show up when an individual is going through something traumatic, but they'll show up to their loved ones. She was, she didn't even know this guy. So why did she see him? So it, it just calls into question all these things. You know, I have a bunch of other uh, reports of, of shared precognitive moments. You know, I've experienced that myself. Where like you get this precognitive thought or dream and you think it's for you but it's not it's for somebody else that you may not know so it's like how does that happen could it be because we're all tapped in the same I don't know uh, neural network metaphysical network whatever the the ether the uh collective consciousness the uh, invisible uh thought internet wave so to speak I don't know you know <laughs> How would you describe this, right? The Akashic record, like, what, what, would, you, what would you classify this as? What would, you, what would you classify this as? I don't know. And I don't care. Because as soon as we put a label on it, it changes. And yeah. it, it's, it's in control, right? Like, we can't do anything about it. We can't measure this stuff. We can't harness it. We can't test it. We just, I mean, we try and we should. But we have to understand that we're not playing by our rules when it comes to the phenomenon. We're playing by its rules, and it's going to do whatever the heck it wants to do.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. A truer statement has never been spoken. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, uh, I'm gonna turn the book. I'm gonna read a couple of favorites here. And then yes, maybe,
0: please do. That'd be great.
1: Then maybe you can uh, maybe give some insight. So. So, like you had mentioned, I think a lot of these have a have a very paranormal sort of feel to them, but also dual meanings too. Uh, which is um, this first one I'm gonna read. It definitely has at least two meanings right off right off the right off the jump for me. Uh, this is called "Eternal Torment." The memories of the moments we regret are the memories
0: and the moments that haunt us forever. Yeah, that's uh some of these um. Some of these entries are like just thoughts that I've had, you know, over random times. And I just, you know, I just I just write things off to the side, you know, I put them in like a notebook or, you know, put them on a piece of paper. And sometimes if you know, I write it down and just try to get it out of my head. And then yeah, you, know, you never know when it might have a meaning later on. And that certainly does. Um, because I think the the most terrifying notion that we could ever experience is regret, right? 100%. Because we we don't, I mean, to my knowledge, we don't have time travel technology yet, so we can't go back and fix what we've done. So I kind of use this as a way to remind myself, hey, look, don't be afraid to, to, uh, to go out there and, and do things, right? Don't be afraid to take risks, you know, obviously responsible risks, but Like there was a point in my life where I would just like talk about, you know, taking a trip and I wouldn't, I would talk myself out of it. I'll come up with a million excuses of why I shouldn't take the trip. You know, I couldn't afford it or didn't have the time or it would be too much of a hassle or (laughs) this and that, this and that. And then I regret it. Right. Like, so, you know, you just, you never know. Um, So just don't be afraid to say yes to more things uh, instead of nose. So that, that's kind of like the, the meaning behind that.
1: Yeah. I can relate to that. I, I can. Yeah. Even if it's something I want to do, I can, sometimes I'll just find myself talking myself out of it. You
0: know, it's such a weird thing that we do. It's the worst. Um, uh, yeah. It's the worst. I mean, I, look, I, I've been in my house one day and I'll never forget this. It's just so ridiculous. I spent the entire day, it was like eight, 10 hours pacing around my house, thinking about what I should do, where I should go. And I I didn't do any of it. It was the (laughs) most most ridiculous waste of a day ever. And uh, the the lesson that I learned from that is if you want to get out of the house and you're struggling with getting out of the house and you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, think about it later just get the hardest part is getting out of the house just get out of the house get in your car and just drive and figure it out as you go along right um yeah. one one of my friend he uh, one of my friends he he did this one time and uh he he used that advice and he got in his car and he drove all the way from Pennsylvania to Maine went to a diner ate some lobster turned around and drove back <laughs> so you never know where you're going to end up but uh that's part of the journey right that's, that's
1: amazing fun. That must have been the good lobster.
0: That's what he said, so.
1: (laughs) So another, another this might be my, this might be the favorite one in in here for me. It's uh, accompanied by an awesome illustration, uh, and it's called Warmth in the Winter. If I can see my breath when I'm out in the cold, I can see that I'm alive. But if my heart is still frozen, or so I've been told, how can I ever see that I've died?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting one, huh? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that kind of has like a personal meaning. Um, yeah, I don't want to share too much of it, you know, Yeah, absolutely. At, out of respect to, uh, to people that I, or the person I wrote that about, um, but that that's the beauty of poetry, right? You can interpret it in different ways. And you know, I, I I'm I, I don't want to explain everything because I think it would take away that meaning, right? So for you, you have a certain attachment to this poem for a particular reason. If I tell you my reason, then it might change that, right? It might influence you. And then you might not like it as much. So mm, true it's kind of like song lyrics, right? When you hear like the artist like reveal the the true message behind this song and then it's like, not what you thought it was. It just ruins it completely. It's like, Oh, really? (laughs) Forget it. No longer my favorite song.
1: Yeah. You're thinking the songs about this profound, you know, existentialist crisis. And it's like, you know, then you talk to the guy that wrote it and he's like, no, no, I just got punched in the nuts at a truck stop (laughs) and uh, dropped my beer.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or the, the, the worst ones are like when people write about something that has no meaning at all, it's just <laughs> random stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, true. Really? That stinks. But no, I, writing is a great way to kind of like process things. Um, especially if you're dealing with like human problems, I guess. And you don't really understand how somebody, um, you don't understand the other person's thinking you know that's i think the greatest moments in writing happen when you're really struggling you know mentally emotionally uh, spiritually you know that's mm-hmm. that's where the the richest writing comes from because then you're writing from your from within your soul you know th- there's a reason why you know taylor swift never has like a you know a steady relationship right i mean t- if she did would she be able to produce some of the most incredible music that she's produced? (laughs) So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I always tell new writers, like, you know, the fastest way to learn how to write is to get your heart broken. That'll teach you to write real fast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, you notice like a lot of really talented artists, you know, like writers and, and even comedians who do a lot of writing, um, The ones that are really, really successful, you you find out that like, oh wow, they were severely depressed. They were like really struggling to just to get out of bed every day, and and, but they would be able to sit down and write and come up with this amazing material. Um, It seems like without that struggle, that that stuff wouldn't wouldn't be there, and so that they wouldn't be as talented if they didn't weren't struggling with these demons, you know.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting about that uh, that entry that you read from you know, yes, there's an illustration that accompanies it. And I told Jessica, I said, look, I want the one person to be emitting like uh, breath, right? Because they're walking on a cold day. For those of your audience who haven't seen this illustration, there's, there are two figures, a man and a woman walking down a snow covered um, pathway. And out of the woman, you can see uh, the breath coming out of her mouth. But out of the man, there's nothing. So it kind of has like, you know, that that hidden meaning, right? You know, some people will get it. Some people won't, but it plays right into that entry. So
1: oh, very interesting. That's a, that's a detail I hadn't noticed. Hmm.
0: That's very cool. Yeah, there you go.
1: Here's one that you may want to um, read and reread to yourself as you pace around your apartment all day trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> uh-huh. Spear of the deep. All of our thoughts, our questions, our answers a sea unto us but until we learn to navigate we are all in danger of drowning
0: yeah that's you know i i wrote that in a way that you know i was getting tired of all these um well yeah there's a couple meanings behind that one of the meanings is uh you know everybody has opinions people love to just like talk and but are they really hearing themselves like you know are they really listening to what they're saying like it's, it's really just a lot of jumbled thoughts they're not really considering that their words do have power especially when you're interacting with somebody right you could you know the the words are are, are weapons and they can be used you know in a variety of ways but we have to be careful with that so like we kind of have to we have to navigate those thoughts you know, those those things that we're, we're wrestling with or else we're going to, you know, drown in them. So, but then there's some other meanings, you know, which I, I don't want to talk about because I want people to interpret it the way that they want. And I know it's a very artist thing to say, right? But, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to ruin the experience for anyone, right? When you were reading this, you didn't have me there, you know, over your shoulder saying, oh, you know what this one means? You know what that one means? So, yeah, it's exactly. cool. Yeah. It's fascinating, though. I mean, I love hearing your reaction to these because, you know, this helps me become a better writer. I, once I understand what resonates with people, then I, I know how to better write to them or for them.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. i, I going through and reading these. Uh, they're almost like like mini thought experiments. You know, you're just kind of like I said, you're just getting like one or a couple thoughts. And and it's you know, it's the reader that's gonna connect or not to any individual idea there, or relate that to some sort of experience that they've had and it resonates for them because of X, but it you know, it it's you know, but you wrote it from Z, another individual over here is gonna read it and he's gonna connect with Y, you know, so it's pretty cool poetry. And I've always been impressed by even the stuff I didn't like, just because I could I could appreciate the the skill. In writing a thought and really encapsulating like one little thing in a couple of sentences, because that was something I was never really like good at doing, and so I could appreciate it. But, but yeah, this book is great because it's um, it's like little thought experiments, and and you can read them like you. I think you mentioned before you can read it today and you'll get something out of it. You read it again in two weeks, and you may get a completely different meaning from it or a deeper meaning than than you did originally. So very very cool and you know, it was a big risk go- going from the spectrum to spilled ink because as you said that's a that's a, that's a huge departure from there that's that's you know I think most people would expect you to having come out with another book to for it automatically to be on like men in black or the you know the Jersey devil or something like that and mm-hmm. and you know and it's just it's this work of poetry and I I it was a brave choice in my opinion to go with that because it's a such a departure from from the spectrum but like you said some people you know at events like they they want variety they don't want to just have the same paranormal issues or you know the same weird stuff talked about you know they, they want variety and it's good too as, as an investigator as as you know sometimes you have to just back away from the whole thing and just say you know what, i'm done with this crap i'm, I'm never it. looking into this again i'm done and then you know a month or two later you're like okay and then you jump back into it but you need those breaks you know to just you, just, you know i call it mental flaw so you just got to get away from it and just you know, get a palate cleanser and just get away from the phenomena for a while and just just live, you know, just a regular life for a while.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I won't lie, you know, after I wrote the Spectrum, weird things did happen. There were some very unusual circumstances that took place. It, 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 definitely takes a toll on you. And it, you know, there are days that sometimes I wish I could just have a just normal life, you know, just hang out with normal people, normal people in air quotes. Right. Um, yeah. But that's not, you know, where I'm placed right now. You know, I'm, I'm I'm in these weird situations, these strange situations, talking with people about their strange experiences. And it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting. I wouldn't have it any other way, but there are times that it gets kind of dangerous. It gets kind of unnerving. And you do have to have that healthy balance that, well, that healthy reverence for it to understand that, again, like I said earlier, it's in control. So you have to maintain that respect, that boundary. You have to know your limits. You have to know when you've gone too far or when you're approaching that that boundary line. And I did get pretty close to it and I had to back off for a while. I'm I'm working on some more paranormal books. Don't worry. You know, people listening to that, I haven't walked away from that. I'm always going to be in this. I'm going to be writing about this in one way or another. But nice. I'm going to you know, have some other things that I want to tackle too. And this is kind of, you know, showing a different side of of me that a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, I, I'm a lot of my close friends know that I'm a very, um, very secretive person. I, I don't share a lot about my personal life. I, I'm not very open with that. You know, I, I keep a lot of it, you know, to myself. But I, because I, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of awkward for me to talk about, but I love writing about it and I use writing as a way to kind of express ideas and my thoughts and emotion. And even though this is a deviation from my high strangeness subjects, it still relates because there are high strangeness themes that I think a lot of people can also relate to. You know, a lot of investigators, a lot of researchers out there, a lot of experiences out there, they'll get it. Some of you may not get it, and that's okay too, but it was fun to write and I got plenty more so
1: nice. Yeah.
0: And it turns out that this book is also on sale at Amazon. I just looked it up right now. There you go. Yeah. There you it's go. Yeah. And I'll have
1: links to everything in the, in the show notes as well.
0: So, so,
1: so normal Yeah. Excellent website. Um, What, um, you know, what would you tell uh, some of our listeners that aren't familiar with the website? Like, what is it who should go there what are you going to find you know what um you know i know that's a point of contact for you for people that that uh, want to share their experiences but yeah you know this even had you've had that going for for
0: quite some time now so yeah what 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 is normal paranormal so it originally started after years of Investigating this stuff, you know, I wanted to take it a step further, maybe see like what others outside of the usual paranormal circles thought. So at the time, I forget what year this was, it's a long time ago, uh, over 10 years ago, I invited a handful of people to this small online forum that I developed called Normal Paranormal. And it sparked conversation into all sorts of like high strangeness. And I think at that time I started on, I think it was on Facebook or some sort of social media, but Then I decided to kind of take it to the next level. Oh, yeah. I think it was like a closed group. And I just invited certain people to it. And then I thought, all right, well, people are really getting a kick out of this. They're talking about it. They're discussing it. So I developed, you know, the current website that's up there now. And it's a blog. And various social media channels um, to help support it all under that same name. It serves the same purpose, but on a larger scale. And I use it as a way to kind of encourage people to write me. um, So I get messages all over the world of of people that want to share their experiences with me which i you know decided to expand upon and further reflect uh in the spectrum and like one guest that that i wrote about in there that you had an episode on um on the bunker called a carolina terror you know oh yeah that was uh yeah he he originally uh reached out to me through normal paranormal and he said hey look i understand you're trying to look, for, you know, you're, you're asking if anybody wants to write about their experiences. I said, yeah, sure. What have you got? And he said that he had like, you know, this haunted house experience. I had no idea how incredible it was. So he wrote an article for me, I think it was called the, like the dangers of living in a haunted house or something like that. It, it was really like basic high level stuff. Didn't get into much detail, but he had a few things in there. And I thought there's more to this guy's story than he's telling me. So I reached out to him And he, uh, he was clearly still unnerved by it. Um, you know, it it affects you as a lot of your listeners can attest to, even though the experience is over, you still have those, those memories, those lingering thoughts of what you went through. And for this gentleman, he had PTSD from the incident and it it had some long lasting psychological effects on him. So he told me his story over the phone. It's incredible. You interviewed him for the show you know, years later, it was, um, yeah, so it was through that site, Normal Paranormal. So I, I I want people to go to that site and just think about things differently. That's how I try to present some of the information. I'm always looking for people to contribute articles to the site. You've done that, Mike. You know, you've contributed a few articles. Um, I had uh some other people contribute some articles. Yeah, you know, I don't have time to really keep it updated as much as I as I hoped, uh, it's just so much to do with it, but it's a good starting point. If you're interested about this topic, you're interested in my research, I try to use it as a way to, you know, get those in those announcements out there and, uh, just share some cool stories. So that's what normal paranormal.org is.
1: Speaking to that, um, that guest we were just talking about, uh, I was working with an individual very shortly after that interview took place, actually an old job and this gentleman i worked with started sharing little bits and pieces of a story that that had a lot of parallels to uh to this gentleman's story when i when i told him that you you know i that's this isn't the first time i've heard details like this like I've, i've heard of their story like this i didn't share any details of course but just let him know that like look this is i've heard of this happening to to someone else you know they were profoundly affected by it and uh this i think in this particular case made this individual more uncomfortable uh to to talk about it and so it kind of just died there but it's just it's fascinating i'm glad you brought that up because i actually forgotten about that case but um but yeah i mean there's a lot of details in that case that i've heard and from other people i mean this stuff is out there. It happens, and um, there there is just too many people sharing the same story. They don't have any knowledge of each other for this to just be completely hooey and just imagination or just oh they were on drugs or drunk or whatever. Consistent details keep coming to light, <laughs> and it's once you're in this and you see it, you hear these reports over and over again. It's you, you can't you can't look away. You can't ignore it. It's it's too profound. You it's. And like you said, it, it it's going by its own rules, and we're sort of along for the ride. But when you hear stories like that, told by someone who is absolutely believable, one hundred percent credible, and you think, "My God, that is that is so intense, I, that is unbelievable." But then you hear the story again, and then you hear uh, similar details again and again and again, all over the place. And it, it it makes it for me anyway, and I'm sure for you as well, impossible to ignore. You know, when you can't. Possibly think you're going to figure this out, but you know it's a, it's a great opportunity to be in a position where we can take these stories in and, and and you know either publish articles or give interviews and and get it out there because we know this is happening. If someone one person's telling you or telling me, "Hey, this crazy thing happened to me," guarantee there's um, tons of other people that have had the exact same experience.
0: Oh yeah, yeah the it, the stories, they're out there, but. Nobody knows about these stories until they hear them, right? And then they realize, oh, that same thing happened to me. And then they share their story. Just like with, you know, the, the crazy phone calls, right? You know, the, the Gary Sudbrink phone calls. He recorded them. But the fact is, they happened to one person. That means there's got to be another person out there that they happened to. it has got to be several other people that it's happened to. I, I just, I cannot fathom that it only happens one time and then that's it. There's got to be more people out there, but we have to have people sharing their stories to empower others, to encourage others that they're not alone and a step forward. Like, yeah, there's some really crazy stories out there. There's some really incredible accounts that, you know, that I've heard that uh, I'm still thinking, really? Did that really happen? But yet, These people swear by it. Something is happening. We just, we can't explain it. We can't categorize it. I think we need to do, at least we need to do that service for the field is to stop labeling these things. Because like you have UFO organizations, you have paranormal organizations, you have Bigfoot groups, but what about all that other stuff in between? Who do you go to with those stories? There's no groups that specialize in doppelgangers. There's no group that shares, uh, that specializes in shared precognitive experiences. There, there's none of that. So who do you go to? So I try to start Normal Paranormal as a way for people to go there. Tell me your story. Even if it doesn't fit into a neatly packaged categorical box, great. I want to hear it. Those are the stories I'm after. You know, the whole reason why I chose that name, Normal Paranormal, is it's to help normal people deal with what we call the paranormal. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be around for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's going to be no shortage of weird stories, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and talking about the the submarine case and, and those weird phone calls, um, you know, I think right off the top of my head, when you brought that up, what immediately popped into my head was was my interview with Christina Engelhart, who described very similar strange phone calls from these weird people, who seemed to know intimate details about them, who was in the room, what situation was going on, who was what conversations that were taking place, knew where they were going to be. So there's at least two <laughs> examples of yeah getting calls from some bizarre entity that seems to know everything about you, but, but, but won't identify themselves. And, you know, uh, yeah, like you said, what box you put that into?
0: Yeah, I, who knows? You know, there's some some bizarre stuff. But yeah, I forgot about that. The Christina case like that means it's happening. You know, John Keel wrote about the phone calls he received. So those are three cases we at least are aware of. Right.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And then there's all of those other reports where people get eerie phone calls from the other side, from deceased individuals. You remember that when, when landlines were a thing? People were getting calls all the time on their answer machines to their you know, their house phone. Does that still occur? You know, I don't hear many reports of people getting strange phone calls to their cell phones. So I wonder, maybe there's some sort of circuitry in that landline that's more conducive to these things? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: That's a, that's a good question. One thing that Beth and I have experienced quite often, actually, and this could be just chalked up as something completely um, normal with a natural explanation, but something that we experience quite often for some reason, not only with each other, I, I never have this experience when I'm talking to you on the phone or family members or anything. But when Beth and I talk on the phone, normally it's when one of us are driving somewhere or both of us are driving somewhere and and we're talking and she will hear another voice in the car with me and ask me who's there or who's in the car with you. Where you know where are you going? And there's, and there's no one in the car with me. I'm by myself and vice versa. It, it's happened both to her and to me where we'll hear extra voices in the background of the phone call like and it sounds like on my end it sounds like it's coming from her end of the line but yet she didn't hear it and she's experienced it the same way she's heard it sounded like someone was with me you know or thought oh the tv's on or something but again there's no voices there's nothing on the radio's not on the tv's not on and that's something we've experienced And, and again i mean you could be oh that's just crossed Cell signals. That could be, it could totally be that for sure. But I just find it odd that it never happens to me with speaking to anyone else on the phone. It's only when I'm talking to Beth on the phone. So I, what that is, I don't know, but
0: yeah, that, that's really weird. If anybody's listening right now and you've had strange experiences on the phone, please, you know, write in, contact us, Mike or myself, like let us know. We want to hear about these stories. Absolutely even just like strange text messages that you receive, you know, that that's an aspect I don't hear much about. Yeah. Really, really weird stuff. You know, you and I have had experiences, right. Where, um, they kind of played into our text messages. Remember?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. There's some, some really interesting experiences. Uh, what do you remember of that? Remember the, uh, the, the sunglasses that were in my car. Do you yeah. remember that?
1: That I don't remember.
0: This was a, uh, this is going back a long ways. Um, Let's see here. What was this? It was a long time. But we had, um, I, let me see here. I have to pull up my notes because this is um, something I talked about in one of my presentations, but I want to make sure that I get all the facts straight. This was one morning, I remember um, going out to my car. And you know, I was gonna drive to work that day, and it was um, oh my gosh, this was what year was this? I have to check here um okay, here we go. it was, was two thousand eighteen um I think around two thousand eighteen, but you had you were just starting up the bunker and you were just recording some uh some episodes and whatnot and you uh I forget which episode it was, but you had sent me a message <clears throat> you said uh you texted me, "Hold on to your butts," and it prompted me to respond with a picture of um of a uh, Jeff Goldblum's character from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you responded with Doctor, right? Which, as you know, in the movie, there are two two male doctors, Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, and um, uh, Doctor Grant, played by uh, Sam Neil. And um, what's interesting about that is the next day, the next morning. I was in my car, drove to Newark, New Jersey, a couple hours, about an hour, 90-minute drive. And I parked the car, and I looked, and there's a pair of black sunglasses right there. And they're on the passenger side. And I was like, what? And I, like, looked at the insignia, and it said Foster Grant. Now, again, the coincidences, whatever, uh, possibly, right? Because we were just kind of referencing, you know, Jurassic park. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch, but I didn't know where these sunglasses came from. They just showed up and trust me. I'm very, very particular about my car. I'm particular about everything. I know where everything is. Some may say it's OCD. Okay, sure. Probably to some extent, but, um, I don't know where these came from. They just showed up and I had messaged some of my other friends who are that I could think of who were in my car Wasn't theirs. I have no idea where these showed up. And then, you know, is this proof positive of the MIB? Because they're known to wear like dark sunglasses? No, not really. But I just thought it was really interesting because the picture I had texted you with was a picture of Jeff Goldblum wearing those sunglasses. (laughs) And here they are showing up in my car. So (laughs) you know, but that's how the that's that's the trickster aspect of the phenomenon. So,
1: yeah, I, I remember that the weird phone calls and text messages got so prevalent for, for a while. It's been really quiet, actually, the last like two years. I It, it kind of just stopped. But mm-hmm. I remember it got to such a fever pitch that I, I remember distinctly that you had come over. You were over here in the studio and we had either just getting ready to record an episode or just finished. I think we had just finished recording an episode. And. I, so I still had the soundboard all fired up and and everything and and my audio, everything all still hot. Right. And I remember the phone ring and I'm like, there's that number again. And you're like, hit record, hit record. So like, I'm getting out, I'm firing up audacity, hitting record. We're like, you know, getting all this stuff hooked up to to answer the phone because, because this, 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 it was like a number that was calling me. It was all zeros or something. remember it was like a real weird combination of, of, of numbers that was calling and texting me all the time. And it was just saying weird stuff. (laughs) And of course, I, you know, I hook up everything, I start recording and I answer it and there's no one there and they don't say anything, of course, but of course. Yeah,
0: (laughs) there was, yeah, look, there's some weird things that happen with, with the phones. Uh, Now, again, could it be coincidental? Sure. Maybe people are listening to this episode and they think, okay, these two yahoos, like, what are they talking about? Right. This is just nonsense. Are these people high for the record? I do not drink. I do not take drugs. I do not do anything. And, uh, Correct. as far as I know, Mike Brown is the same way, but these things happen and it just makes you pause and wonder, is this related to the phenomenon in some way? Maybe it's not right. I mean, we have to put that in, we have to put it in perspective. It could be our own imaginations, like wanting it to be something more, mm. but then it gets a little strange. So for example. I wrote this down in my log of strange experiences. This, I don't think I've shared with anybody so far. Maybe I shared with you in a while back. I don't know. But this was, again, up in Newark, New Jersey. I was at the office that I had worked at at the time. And there comes a you know phone call, an incoming call. Now, upon receiving calls from numbers, I don't recognize. Well, nowadays, I just don't answer because I have like a call blocking software. But back then, I didn't have that. So if I saw a number that I didn't recognize, I'd pick it up, but I wouldn't. I would refrain from saying hello. I'd wait for the caller to initiate the conversation. That way, my voice doesn't like trip like some pre-recorded message to begin playing. And it, it's a great way to kind of tell like uh, or to gauge tele- telemarketing or scam calls, right? So at about this was at according to my log here, it's at twelve fifty three p.m. I received an incoming call from a number I did not recognize. And for the first few seconds, when I picked up, the caller didn't say anything. So I was about to hang up when all of a sudden, like this frantic woman comes on the line and says to me, this is the quote. And I wrote this down. As soon as something happens, I write it down so I don't miss any details. So I hear this woman come on the line. She's really frantic. And she says, there's water damage from the flooding upstairs. And then immediately disconnects the call. And I'm like, what? Like, there's water damage from the flooding upstairs. And I remember distinctly her voice having a possible subtle Philly or Jersey accent, but not entirely sure since it was just so fast. The entire call log said 10 seconds. Wow. It, it was an unsettling call because you know, the first thought that entered my mind is, wait, water damage in my house? But no one lives above me because I lived in a single building at the time. I didn't rent out anything. So I told my immediate supervisor, um, cause you know, she was kind of interested in this stuff, but I could tell it freaked her out. And when I told her this, it did freak her out. Um, I, I was in the middle of eating lunch, um, at my desk since I had a meeting at one. So, so I, um, I thought about calling the number back, but I had that meeting at once. So I, I didn't worry about it. Right. So, but when I called them now, my supervisor didn't say anything. She just looked really disturbed by it, but she didn't say anything. Okay, we had our meeting, whatever. After that meeting, I called the number back and it went right to an automated answering system for State Farm Insurance Company. I hung up, tried again just to make sure, same thing. Surprised by this, right? I went back to my desk. I shared the findings with my boss. And um, based on her reaction, I could sense that she was really unnerved by this. And I thought to myself, Again, this is just a random thought that popped in my mind. I wonder if she has state farm insurance. Okay. Oh my God. I, I, we don't talk about insurance, right? <laughs> yeah. So then, so that was then later that afternoon. I'm reading my notes here. It, uh, because this happened a long time ago, it's 2019. Uh, it, I was sitting at my desk. Yeah. It's about two o'clock. And, Then I remembered something. Right before the meeting, my boss came in to work later. She did like a half day. And she told me, she said, I'm sorry I'm late. I had a flooding issue from the floor upstairs. It was another tenant. And I just, I I remembered this at like two o'clock. I was like, oh, whoa, wait a second. And then I began to put two and two together. And she had come into the office just a few minutes prior to that phone call, since she worked remotely to let the contractor in to work on repairing the damage to her bathroom from it. But it, it happened last week, okay, like the week prior. So then I asked her when that thought popped in my head. Then I I talked with her and I said, Hey Megan, did you have State Farm as your insurance? And she said, Yes, yes I did. And she revealed to me that she was surprised to hear that that was the original call origin from me. And she said she had not called her insurance company about the water damage in her home, but she thought about it after I revealed my experience to her. So she asked me if the voice had an accent. I said, it did, but I didn't think it was her. Um, She asked me what I thought the accent was. I said, I think it was like Philly or Jersey. Um, And she was relieved because she said that she was not going to tell me that her neighbor has a Russian accent. Um, she said, had that been the accent that I had heard if i had heard a Russian accent, she said she would have called state farm immediately and, uh, and filed the claim. So why this happened, Mike, Mike, I have no idea. It, it just, these things take place. Sometimes they don't have a reason, but they're very unusual, very peculiar. I just remember what I heard. And I heard a frantic woman come on and say, you know, there's water damage from the flooding upstairs and hung up the phone. And it was from a state farm insurance company, not the same branch, but the one that was tied to my area code where I was living at the time, which was in Pennsylvania. My boss lived in a Hoboken, New Jersey. So what do you know? I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. What do you make of this, these things? You know, wh- why, did the, why did these phenomenon... Or why do these various types of phenomena occur? I can't answer that question. All I know is that they are occurring. Now again, people listening to this might think, oh well, they're just trying to connect these two together. Okay, maybe. But it was just uncanny the timing of everything.
1: That's so, that's the thing. The timing of it is what's really weird because you know, if that phone call had taken place, you know, a week in the future or a week before that, maybe you would have just wrote it off, and it's like, oh, just some random weirdo, wrong number, whatever, and completely discounted it, but it's the timing of it (laughs) happening with this other actual flooding event that makes you want, it's like, it's almost like it was pointed, like it it wanted you to notice this weird thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you were supposed to get this bizarre phone call that was completely, in context, completely meaningless
0: to you. Yeah, I don't even have state farm insurance, so what the heck, why are they calling me? (laughs) And it was just a few minutes, like after my boss walked in, like, it's just whatever. I mean, there, there's a lot more, a lot more of these experiences, you know, with these strange calls. Um, You know, I can, I can share one with you. That's looking through my notes here because I I log everything and I encourage everybody out there. If you're listening and you have a strange experience, write it down as soon as it happens, because you're going to forget details you know as time passes on those memories will fade they'll get you know mixed up and and you'll get a lot of facts wrong so when it happens write it down immediately um this one you know and i even write down um temperature and you know weather oh weather yeah weather things because you never know and that might play into things um yeah that's good go.
1: that's good to do because you because it could be atmospheric conditions, it could be time of day, it could be time of year, or maybe all those things, all yeah. sort of in some way, another playing into it, and you would never know unless you log that down and get that data, and then later on you can go through, you know, yeah. really crunch the the numbers so to speak and look at to see where patterns may may be forming that you would never otherwise have picked up on.
0: Yeah, here's here's another one. This was this wasn't a definitive phone call, but this is what I call a phantom ringtone and a disembodied voice. So uh I was helping my my current wife uh make some homemade burger patties with this uh you know a food saver system, right? As some some of your listeners may know how that like how works, right? It's like it's, like it sucks all the air out, right? Oh, it's Like yeah. plastic. Yeah. So she was making the burger patties, <clears throat> putting them in this food saver thing, and then I was taking them downstairs to our freezer. Well, when I came back upstairs, um she told me that my phone was ringing and I asked her, I said, Oh, where where did you hear it ringing? She told me, you know, the office, which is on the upstairs, which is where I'm broadcasting right now. And I told her, I said, well, that's impossible because my phone had been in my pocket the entire time I was downstairs. And she looked a little confused and a little scared. And I asked her what ringtone she heard because I have, I have one ringtone that I use for when my dad calls. And, uh, after I played her the ringtone of, of the, the normal ringtone. And then one of my dad calls, she said it was that one when my father calls. So I texted my dad to see if he was thinking about calling me at about five 45 ish. This was, uh, yeah, this is about this was last June. And I didn't hear back from him until a few days later. And he told me, yes, I had been thinking about calling you at almost precisely that time. And I said, really? I said, well, why? And he said that his neighbor had come over to his apartment, but was busy texting on her phone the entire time. That made my dad upset, but for whatever reason, it made him want to call me. Now, remember, I I told you stress, I think, plays a part into this. So here we have my father. He's a little stressed. Well, his neighbor who's over at his place is also stressed because earlier in that afternoon, his neighbor had, had been involved in a hit and run where the assailant drove their vehicle up onto the curb as she was walking to work. And the incident knocked her out for a brief period of time while the assailant drove off. They identified his license plate with security cameras in the area, but her workplace decided to send her home immediately after because of that incident. Well, she was upset by that and went right over to my dad's apartment instead. So why this happened, I don't know, but my wife distinctly remembers hearing that ringtone and for a long period of time. But it's impossible because my phone is in my pocket. So, and what's really interesting about that is as she's telling me that story, I thought I heard her voice call out our, our cat's name as we were both in the kitchen. And I turned around to expect to find our cat Whose uh, name was Toes, right there in front of us, but she wasn't there. And I asked Rachel, I said, Hey, did you hear those? Did you say those words? Did you say Toesy? And she said she hadn't. So it was kind of like these back to back experiences. Um, what was it? You know, I, I take it a step further. And I wish I could interview the hit and run driver because I wonder were they distracted by their phone while driving? And somehow that played a part into this weird phenomenon. Oh, man. You know, I mean, imagine that. You know, when I asked my dad more about this, I was like, what do you make of it? And he told me that uh, he and, and my grandmother, which would be his mother, they shared that ability to send each other telepathic thoughts. And he attributed this event to something along those lines that apparently I had picked up on. Now, again, it's all speculation, right? I have no evidence for this, I have no way to measure this but it brings up all these questions. And that's what I want people to kind of like walk away with when they talk about these experiences. Don't just look at the experience itself. Look at perhaps what is the circumstances? What are the conditions? What's the environment like that was conducive to these experiences taking place? I think that's where we might find some some answers.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's you know, that's another situation that you know, maybe just a, a, any random person may have had that same experience, but just wrote it off, and just right. didn't didn't think twice about it, and didn't write it down, recorded, it, even think it was significant. That this information that all the time. that that data is lost because because someone just wasn't paying particular attention. Yeah, to the details of the of of their environment and how things unfold and how odd it is that you know you're thinking about someone and then they call you or you know you have a feeling of someone's in trouble and then you reach out to them. And it turns out they were in trouble. They were in an accident or something like that. Like, yeah. how the heck does that work? I mean, it, but it happens, you know, I mean, you've, you've heard countless stories from people about things like this, but we can, we'll never be able to explain how this works, but we know that it's happening.
0: Yeah, we do. And, and whatever label we want to put it under, you know, coincidence, extreme coincidence, synchronicities, precognitive experiences, mental overlap, moment echoes, whatever we want to label it as it, it could be the same thing. it's just taking all these different forms the whole you know the theme of my book, the spectrum right it's the whole spectrum of phenomena taking place. This stuff is real but how many times like you said, do we just dismiss it because we just think oh yeah it's just that's a weird fluke, right? It's an eerie coincidence.
1: Yeah. Or you could have just said, oh yeah, no, you didn't hear my phone. It's in my pocket. And then just dropped it and yep. never, and never stopped to think, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: but I know you, better
1: you, but you had the, you had the, 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 the wherewithal and the, and the, the awareness to think like, wait a minute. And then start asking questions. Okay, wait, which ringtone did you hear? Mm-hmm. where did you hear it from? You know, and get these details. And that, when you were into it, that's when you really, that's when that incident comes out and reveals itself as being really, really strange. Yeah. And, you know, you could have just not been paying that much attention and you would have never thought twice about it. And then it would have been gone forever and you would never, you know, two weeks from that point, you would have not even remembered it took place.
0: That's right. Yeah. In fact, another time this, this occurred with my wife and I, I was opening the the front door to our house and I thought I saw and felt a black mass in front of the door and it was small, just like my cat toes. And at first I thought it was Toes, but then I realized it wasn't her, nor could it be her since she always runs away whenever the front door is open. Now, I did not say anything to my wife at the time, but immediately after I had my experience, she randomly says, oh, you know what? I just remembered a dream I had. And I asked her, oh, what was it about? And she said that she was outside and Toes was outside. And she said it happened last night. She opened the front door and and their toes was outside, but she didn't know how she got there. She said that she just saw her leaving the house on the left side of the house. If you are inside looking outside, she said, if she didn't see the door, she would not have remembered the dream. I did not share anything about my experience up to this point. And I asked her, how come you you didn't remember the dream as we were leaving the house earlier? You know, considering that. In the dream, you were leaving the house. And she thought for a minute, and then she remarked. She goes, yeah, that is kind of weird. My thoughts, I thought it was really odd that I saw toes on the exact same side that Rachel would have seen her in the dream. And Rachel brought up the, my wife, Rachel brought up the possibility that I am always worried about that, about like toes escaping, you know, when she was alive. And maybe it was just my, my usual fear in the moment. But that was the first time I ever saw a shadow, let alone felt it. And I wonder if I had somehow picked up on her thoughts and what she was visualizing in the moments just before vocalizing it. Or if I had picked up on like some sort of echo from her dream. Or it was just merely a massive coincidence, right? <laughs> so, yeah. but I write it down. Because you never know when it could have a deeper meaning later on, or you might run into some other uh, experiencer's testimony. that's exactly like what you experienced. So whenever you have something unusual happen, write it down and then send us that story,
1: yeah, hundred percent. And we tell people all the time that that same advice, or like if you're either experiencing weird things happening uh, around you, um we tell them, like get a journal, just journal about it you know, and log dates, times, you got it. Temperature, humidity, what the weather is like, you know, any other strange things that took place that day, anything weird that takes place after that, you know, just write it down because like you said it, I mean, if you don't go into it, well, you know, and while that, I, while that memory is still fresh in your mind and write that down and record it, you'll forget details. Memory's fallible. You'll, you'll forget details or, or misremember details. And uh, it'll make it much more difficult to find those patterns.
0: Absolutely. I, I wouldn't be sharing this story with you had I not written it down. I would have just remembered it as, oh yeah, I thought I saw a black shape, you know, cross my path and my wife had a weird dream about it and that was it. But yeah. I have all these details because I wrote it down and I just share it with you guys. So, but also write down your mindset too. W- were you in a happy moment when this experience took place? Were you sad, depressed? Angry, uh, you know, bored, whatever, you know, because I think that plays a crucial role in these experiences taking place.
1: 100%. 100%. That plays a role. And, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times we've been investigating with someone, and you can just sort of see if someone is just in a bad mood or not feeling well or something the more negative or intense things seem to happen to them. And there's always exceptions, of course, it's not, nothing is ever hundred percent, but we find a lot that if people are in a place and they're afraid that that will, that will manifest certain things that won't take place for someone else who is not afraid in the same environment. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, we, we were on a case where where we are both in total agreement that this woman uh, was just because of all the things she was going through emotionally and in her marriage and stuff at the time was, was 100% manifesting this, whatever it was in the house. And it was making loud noises, uh, voices. It was moving objects. It was, you know, physically interacting with her. And after speaking with her and going over a couple of times and, Beth, you know, sort of counseling her afterwards, I think it was pretty clear that because of the, the, the super negative situation she was in emotionally, like negative things were happening to her and it started to bleed over and other people were experiencing it. And I, and I just think that was a classic, you know, a thought form or an egregore, like this is something that, that she created. It was sort of like an energy field or a negativity, an entity that she manifested because of, because of her state of mind and her, uh, constant thought about this bad situation that she's in and and we're totally convinced that she was causing changes in her environment that was manifesting through this entity that she thought was this exterior thing but lo and behold you know she goes through gets you know divorced and changes her living situation and improves her situation and then you know lo and behold those those um those occurrences didn't go away immediately, but they greatly tapered off. And I, you know, last we spoke to her, they were, you know, barely ever happening. Um, And this was something that was intense. Like she was thinking that this was demonic. Like this was a, you know, this was like real serious. Like we're going to need an exorcism and a deliverance and all kinds of stuff, you know, and um, uh, you know, she just improved her, her, her emotional state and everything else improved.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. The, the, the power of the mind. That's why I'm beginning to think that this may not be an external force we're dealing with here, but it's more internal.
1: Yeah, I think so. There's, there's, was I trying to think who it was that said it. I can't remember. It was a meditation teacher. I can't remember which one in particular it was, but they, they famously said that, that basically everything that we experience all takes place within consciousness. And although I think it's, it's difficult to really 100% believe that I think for most people, but I've definitely seen it time and time again, where, you know, you, I mean, everyone has experienced this when you're having a bad day and you're, you know, walking around and you're fuming, you're angry, frustrated, like it, more frustrating things happen, you know? And it's, it's not until you sort of calm down, reground yourself, calm, maybe breathe, listen to music, whatever you have to do to get yourself out of that state, you know, and you, you make the effort to change your sort of frequency and, and then your environment also begins to change. And sometimes it's very subtle and difficult to, to witness, but I think the witness or the experiencer, I think, plays a huge role. I mean, we don't even really fully understand how profoundly we're connected to our environment. And I and there, there just seems, to, there's just too many occasions where we've seen someone's emotional state tied directly into what experiences they have in that moment. And we could be in, sitting across the room from them, completely calm and very, just having a good time, and and nothing happens to us you know
0: so so fascinating and so frustrating too
1: a hundred percent so so what is so what's on the future in the future for for uh for mr Banforth? i i you had said that oh, you're gonna boy. <laughs> like so any any bigger big plans for season two terror signals or
0: um yeah i have a few guests lined up uh there there'll be some interesting stuff uh you know i want to have uh, gary Sudbrink on to talk about it about his calls um nice. especially considering yeah. that uh his calls are going to be picked up by a tv show they're going to do an episode um about that awesome so uh yeah so that'll be the first uh first interesting uh yeah first first tv show that's interested in that case uh, much to my surprise but uh you know it's funny cuz when the uh the tv um executive reached out to me first she thought that I owned the rights to the calls and I said no no I don't but I can point you in the right direction of who might uh, of who owns them right or who who has them because it's his life story and I remember telling her I said look I'd be happy to come on your show and talk about the case because there's a lot more to the case than just these calls she came across these you know because of the website because of normalparanormal.org And I said, there's a lot more to this. This is a lifetime of strange experiences that this whole family has witnessed. So I said, please, please interview him. If you're not going to interview me, interview him. Um, I I mean, you should interview him, but most importantly. But get the whole thing in context, right? Don't just play these clips because they're unusual. But listen to the story. I'm more interested in people's stories their whole lifetime of experiences, because I think it all relates. And when I am contacted by an individual, it may start off as just one story that they want to share with me. And then that one phone call ends up being a lifetime of phone calls of just all sorts of strange stuff that they're continuing to experience. Uh, Shane Sovar is another one. You know, he's the one with the the men in black um, caught on camera that, you know, that little clip went viral.
1: That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Canada. Yep.
0: Yeah. To this day, you know, Shade and I are are still really good friends. And um, it was because of that experience. You know, he shared it with me. And it turns out that there's a lot more to his his experiences. And that's what I'm trying to stress to people is, look, certain families, they deal with this on a daily basis, on a regular basis. But we can't just be focused on just that one moment in time. We have to be more open to listening to their whole story. You know, there was there was one lady who who just messaged me a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, she said, "Hey, I have a I have a few strange stories I'd like to share with you." Well, it turns out she has photographed and videotaped a wide range of UFOs, and some of these clips are very impressive. And some of them I forwarded to you. Remember the the glowing orb. Oh, yeah. There like, were like three of these. This is this woman.
1: Yeah, very interesting videos.
0: Very interesting. So I sent those clips over to uh Paul Carr uh, with the API investigative team, aerial phenomenon investigations yep. team. They do excellent work over there. An alternative to MUFON and National UFO Reporting Center. But there, you know, they looked at the evidence and they thought, okay, this is really profound. This is interesting. They're still doing their analysis, but the early analysis is pretty uh, pretty intriguing. Now, they could come back and say, hey, we figured out what this was. We don't think it's something unusual. And hey, th- great. I'd rather we be able to explain away these things under usual circumstances than unusual, unexplainable, you know, uh, pretenses. But yeah. we got to look at the evidence and we have to consider the whole lifetime of experiences. Okay, what could have triggered this? To us, it looks like a glowing orb, right? But maybe that's not what it is. Maybe this is a different form of a UFO that has taken place. Maybe it's not what we think of as a paranormal type phenomenon, but maybe this is attached to the UFO realm. Or maybe that's our our downfall or our downside is we're putting labels on these things. We shouldn't. We just look at it as high strangeness in general just listen to the witness, share these experiences. So future plans, I hope to interview a lot more people through the Terra Signals podcast, through Normal Paranormal, through my books, through my presentations. I love meeting people, talking with them. If you've had a strange experience, please go to normalparanormal.org. There's a contact form on there. You can get in touch with me. And if you're interested in more of these rambles that we did tonight, check out my podcast at com, or just search for terra signals on any of your podcast platforms.
1: Absolutely. And I can I can attest that if um if you were you know if you're feeling apprehension to to step forward and, and share any of your information, you can you can rest assured that um that it will remain completely confidential and totally private and none of the information will be share it anywhere unless you choose to do so. Um, I, uh, and I can attest to this personally. I, I can say that you know, I've been investigating for the over 10 years now officially, but ever since I was a kid, I've been exploring abandoned buildings and all that sort of thing. You i know, mean? but, but, uh, I can say that having had many, many crazy experiences that to this day, if, if something weird happens, if I capture a weird photo or catch a cool EVP, uh, Justin's the first person I think of like man I gotta, I gotta show Justin and what's funny is that when we were in Virginia uh we were with with Sabrina and friend Sabrina and she, when after I captured that photo I was showing it to everybody and everyone's like what the hell is going on what is this thing and Sabrina just turns to me she's like you gotta you gotta send that Justin <laughs> like yeah. what's funny is I was already in the, in the process of messaging with it I'm like yeah I'm sending it doing it right now um Uh, But I I just want to drive the point home that that, you know, that you can you can trust your information with Justin because it's he'll keep it close to the belt and uh, and won't share any information or names or locations or anything like that, unless you want to share. And uh, exactly. You know, he he wants to hear the story, document it, get the details um, for the sake of tracking this, whatever this is that we're talking about. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there you know, if I'm going to publish your story, I'm always going to get your your approval first. Like I'm going to write something, I'm going to, you know, send it back to you and say, "Hey, can I share this with the world? Can I talk about your case with other people?" You know that cuz I I, I I I I take the respect very seriously. There've been many people who have shared their experiences with me that they don't want publicized. And that and that's fine. I won't talk about it, but I wish that more people would want their their stories shared because it it empowers others. It encourages others to step forward, to know that they're not alone. I'm telling you, there are some incredible experiences that I just wish I could share, but but I can't um, because they don't want me to. However, that being said, if you're a shadowy government source and you're going to step forward and you're going to say, hey, I've got UFO secrets, I'm publishing your name. You know, so don't don't waste my time with that stuff, right? Like, because there's so much misinformation and disinformation and you know, how apprehensive I am about this. I even, when you sent me that photo that you took from Virginia, I even responded to you was, are you messing with me? Is this for real? You know, like (laughs) because it, it was just, it's such an amazing photograph. That it sometimes yeah. it's hard to believe this stuff is really taking place. For those of you out there who are listening to this, what Mike captured looks like a translucent alien entity in a field somewhere in Virginia. That's what it looks like. And it's in one, one, uh, one of the shots, because you did bracketing, right? You took three shots in a row. Yes. And I have all three of these shots you sent me. And there it shows up in the second shot. So what is this thing? I mean, I don't have no idea. Now, again, that, that's my description of it. Like it, you know, it, it looks like a translucent being. But the reason I bring that up is I have other photos that people have sent me of these, you know, quote, unquote, alien entities. And I'm telling you, Mike, they look like this. Yeah. There is there are certain aspects of your photograph that are very similar to those. Now I don't know if that's what you caught. Okay, I'm not putting that out there and saying definitively this is what it is. But it it made me pause for a moment and think, huh, this is similar to other things that I've seen. So I just file it away, and that's that. But it's an impressive photograph. You know we should, uh, you know we could talk later about that. You know if if you want to if we want to share this, you know, on my site or your site, I, I you know, it's you, have got a site now, right? Um, or is it, I,
1: I did, I, I took it down and I'm starting from scratch. I'm going to wait till I move and, uh, get okay. all that madness done. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to revisit it. Uh, um, right. and and I'm also going to be doing some short video content clips okay. just to, just for that purpose for, you know, when I find something that really doesn't translate to audio, uh, you know, then I'll go into a video, be on YouTube or somewhere so that I can actually share this and so the listeners can actually see it and see what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I fortunately was at an event where there were maybe 20 other investigators there from all over the country. And so I had the opportunity to just pass it around. Once the word got around, they were looking searching for me like, hey, let dude with the photo. Come here. You know, and uh, and so I had the opportunity to show it to all these different people that investigate all over the place. And I mean, I think I heard you know, a different answer for every single person I showed it to. And like, everyone that looked at it saw something a little different. Um hmm. Personally, I have no idea what it is. I, I don't have the slightest clue.
0: <laughs> well, look, these are your, these are, these are your experiences. They're your stories. These are other people's experiences and stories. They're never, you know, mine or anyone else's, but theirs. Right. And because of that, I will do everything in my power to honor that legacy and always consider it a privilege, not a right to tell anyone's story. So, but I I would hope, and I I just encourage others out there. If you're going to share a story, think about others. Think about what you could be doing in this field to help other people tell their story. If somebody hears you share your experience, they may be empowered by you to also step forward and share your share their experience, so don't underestimate the power of of what you can do. Loyal listener to the bunker, one hundred percent.
1: That's well said. Perfectly said. Yeah, and I, I can't tell you the number of of times I've even heard just on other podcasts, of people saying that very same thing. Like, man, I really th- you know this thing happened to me years ago, and I, I just thought it was crazy. and I just happened upon your show and. And you know, and then I heard this other experience and this other person shared it. And it's lo and behold, wow, that's the same thing I experienced, or that's the same thing I saw, or you know, it's it you know, this this stuff happens, it's out there and it happens to to I think far more people than we realize. And, you know, that's that's why I think, you know, shows like ours and 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 websites like yours are so critical to keep this information going. Cause there's there's a lot of stuff that's on TV that's just you know, it's pure entertainment, it's not really accurate or you know doesn't portray how things really unfold in the field but when you have people telling their own stories in their own voice um and relaying how they felt you know the circumstances around which this thing happened that's that's a that's a that's next level for me that's that's the purest form of of um moving this field forward for all of us and to get more people like you said to come forward and share their stories because they're holding it to themselves because they think they're crazy. Their whole family thinks they're crazy. They're not going to tell anybody, you know, there's, it's not like you can call the cops. If your house is haunted, like they're not going to do anything, you know? And so people suffer in silence and it's, it's, it's a shame.
0: Well, you're doing good work, my friend. So keep it up. Keep producing these shows. And I'll keep writing about this stuff as long as people want to share their stories with me and experiences. So thanks again for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks man.
1: Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on as always. And, uh, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep sharing super weird experiences with each other and with the listeners. Yeah, I just wanna thank everybody for coming down into the bunker. Stay weird, everyone. We'll see you next time.